Headliner Radio, the creative voice. Today we're welcoming producer, mixer and engineer Neil Pogue onto the podcast, who has worked with Pink, Nelly Furtado, Stevie Wonder, TLC, Lil Wayne, Janelle Monet, and on Outcast Speaker Box, the Love Below album for which he won a Grammy Award in 2004. So lots of work there, lots of well-known works that we all know and love. Welcome along, Neil. Um, how are you today? I am great. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. And um, whereabouts are you? I am in Los Angeles. Los Angeles. Are you at home? Yes, I am at home. Oh, okay, yep. lovely, lovely. And um, so what's been going on for you in, say, the last year? I know a lot for everyone, but just in general. Have oh, you been working man, from home pretty um, much, solidly working? Yeah, You've been, been adapting? Yes, been pretty steady because I work a lot from, from home. So, I mean, I've, I've been on automatic pilot. I mean, 2020 was, I mean, uh, I hate to say this, but... It was a good year for me uh, pr- professionally um, because I uh, about ninety percent of my work is done done from home. So when the pandemic came, I mean, I, I was pretty much just still doing the same thing that I always do, and uh, and um, and um, being that uh, artists couldn't go out and tour, they were just making records, so. You know, it was a busy year for me. Mm. Well, you're definitely not the only person to say too. that. A lot of people do um, that work from yeah. home and work with music production. It's been terrible for live events, but obviously a time to thrive while everyone's stuck being at home. Yeah. So it's a kind of horrible thing to say, but it's a good thing to make the most of it, I suppose, in a way. It was a terrible, yeah. terrible time, but um, lots, right. of, um, lots of work coming out of it. And obviously with all the technology that we've got at home these days, so... Yeah, that's 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 good to hear. And um, what are you up to today? Then, what is what's a day in the life of uh, Neil Pogue look like at the moment? Oh, day in life for me is always you know always juggling projects, yeah. uh, always busy. Um, and, and that's the way I like it. I, I like to be busy. I, I'm a you know I call myself a self-professed uh, 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 workaholic, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and I like to juggle projects. You know, I, I don't like to stay in one genre at a, at a time. I you know I I just love to keep my mind exercised with with different different artists, different styles. Um, so it's uh you know I, I like and, and that keeps it fun for me. Mm. And you mentioned genre there, so obviously you're quite well known for working in, let's call it loosely, the hip-hop R&B genres. Do you deviate from them a lot now? Do you like to try your hands at lots of different styles of music? Yeah, you know, it's great sometimes to delve into the pop world, you know. And it's good to be, you know, I call it the call it the triad where I'm, I'm going from, you know, R&B to hip-hop to pop. So it's like a constant, you know, thing where it's just it's a continuum where I'm constantly in those three, three genres. Um, so I'm not working on a lot of hip hop and I'm not working on a lot of R and B. I'm not working on a lot of site. You know, it seems like it's, it's pretty uh, even, even keeled. Mm-hmm. That's good to hear. You've got to keep creative, I suppose, and keep feeling challenged, I guess, in a way. Yeah. And I, I guess some people see me as, as a, as more of a hip-hop mixer but i've never been that you know i'm i mean i i love hip-hop but i've i've never been just a a hip-hop mixer i've i've been 
I've been very popular in that that genre, working with Outkast and uh, uh, and Tyler, the the creator. But I've I've always dabbed in you know in in other other genres as well. Mm, absolutely. And um, before we get into your career, because obviously you've done so much, um, I'd love to know: Were you always interested in music as a kid? I know you got into drumming pretty early, didn't you? But did you always think? Yeah. I'm going to do this. Were you always telling, you know, your friends and your family, like, this is what I'm going to do? Or did it sort of sneak up on you? No, being in that, you know, I was always interested in music as a child because I was that kid that would, you know, I mean, I grew up, I, I, was, I was a kid that has seen many, um, uh, have heard many genres coming up as of, you know, when I was young. I was the kid that was always listening to, you know, 45s and, and albums. And so, you know, that was my, that was my thing to have my little, my little record player and playing all the different types of, of, of music, you know, from, you know, from Jackson five to Tom Jones to, you know, to, uh, um, you know, James Brown and then listen to the Carpenters. So I was all over the place. And, you know, and that's where my love, love of music came from by just listening to all different genres. Cause I was a, you know, I, I'm a sucker for a, a great melody and, 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 a, and a lot of the pop records and R and B and soul records from, from that era always had incredible melodies. You know, um, it was in, incredible songs that you can, that you can sing along to and that would stay in your mind and, and you find yourself singing it by just you know walking down down mm-hmm. the street or sitting i mean school was 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 difficult because i would hear all these melodies in my head you know con- constantly they, they just took took a hold of me um you know um and growing up in in, in the latter 60s into the 70s and the 80s so i'm hearing all types of music so yeah it was it was it was hard to focus in in school <laughs> Yeah, Robert. And what was it that got you into drumming? Did you hear, you know, an amazing drummer? Was it, were you inspired by someone you knew? Because some people, um, you know, they say, oh my God, I saw such and such drumming or I heard this record and I knew I had to get a drum kit. What was it for you? You know, I, I started out on, on trumpet when I was probably nine and that didn't last last long. I'm not sure what happened, but, but then I saw my cousin, he was, um, he was, he was learning drumming at, at that time. And I was like, wow, I, I would love to try, try that. So I switched over. And from then on, I, I never looked back. I think I was, might've been, might've been like 11, maybe I started or 10, maybe. And I started playing, you know, drums and um, yeah. And I, it's funny. I never looked, looked back. It, it was very, very interesting to kind of lose you, you going from using your lips and your fingers from going to losing to using all all your limbs, you know, you know, and and just uh, holding down down the groove was was something that you know it was that was that was something that I love love to do because I was definitely a groove oriented person. Groove and and melody was was my thing, and it's funny that I wouldn't really hear lyrics until I was done with the melody, mm. and then I'd go, oh, okay, that's that's what he's. That's what they're saying, <laughs> you know, but it was something about, about the melody that always caught me first. 
Mm, that's clearly carried through in your work uh, what you went on to do of course although you wouldn't have known mm-hmm. as a kid at the time um I'm wondering as well can you remember what is the first music you bought I feel like yours is going to be something cool Neil you know um the the, the 45s that I remember was the Isley Brothers Brothers it's your thing nice. and then I remember Tom Jones what's new pussycat and then I remember um uh Jackson five, I want you back. So certain, you know, and, and, you know, uh, having all these 45s as a kid, then you get uh, attracted to all the record, all the labels, Mm. you know, like Motown and, um, and, and you have labels like RCA and, and at, at Atlantic and, you know, so all these, you know, it, it was, it, it was art to, to see these labels on these 45s because everybody had their logos mm. everybody had their fonts so it was this thing that just attracted you to these record labels because everybody had their thing um you know it was like a, it was like different tribes yeah. <laughs> so um so it, it was great to great to read credits and just see and you know not knowing what a what a producer was at that time and then seeing things like pr- produced by and written by and and back then, you you didn't see the engineer's credit, but it was more about the more about the producer and the writer. Mm, yeah, um, absolutely. You know, and not really knowing that. Um, but I, I knew I wanted to be part of this this world, but not knowing how I would be part of it. But then, when I started playing playing drums, that was my thing. Like I wanted to be in a band. I wanted to do that. So, growing up um, in New Jersey, I, I was you know I was in bands and. You know, and I was always the always the kid that would that would lead it and you know write the melodies and and um and and get get inside and get inside the get inside the arrangements and um so yeah I was I was all all about all about the music business and really it wasn't about business. It's funny that we use that word business because back then I we, we didn't have a clue about the business. We we just wanted to play. Mm. Um, but then always heard that word business, but kind of ignored that that word business because you just thought that that was part of the phrase. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, or we'd hear the uh, music in- industry, you know, it's like the industry. Like we wouldn't really focus on the word industry because it was part of the phrase. Mm. But once you get older and you get inside of it, then you understand. Oh, it's a business. Then I now I know why it's called called the, the industry, and. Um, but uh, but I always try to keep that kid in, inside of me and try to keep it fun, and um, you know of, of of course you have to know the uh, business side of it, but but you can't lose that kid inside of you either, because then you then you end up uh, 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 um, end up not as keeping that feeling that you had that feeling that that you can't explain that overwhelming feeling that just I, I guess the warm and, and fuzzies <laughs> mm. I guess you can say that that the business gives gives me still you know and that's good and I suppose it's vital really to sustain a long career you've got to keep that spark alive because if you lose the magic for it it probably will mm-hmm. show in the work you can't just uh I don't know slack off like some people might do in a more regular job you're gonna notice aren't you in the result right. if you're not feeling it yeah and, and you get dis- discouraged once you lose that that feeling that you had um you know, it's uh, and I've seen a, a lot of people come come and go because they lost that feeling, because they lost that love of it, because the business side kind of spoiled it, and 
and people's people, uh, and you know, people come into it kind of spoil it for, for others too. Um, cause a lot of people get, get into it for the, for the wrong, wrong reasons. And, you know, and, uh, and they trip us up. So, yeah, so it's, you know, it's really sad. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen many, uh, many things during your career that are probably not yeah. uh, people in it for the, the best motives or that kind of thing. Yeah. So you learn through experience, don't you? Right, exactly. And um, so let's take it back to the start of your career. So going back to the 80s, you're in LA, you're looking for work as a drummer, obviously. And I saw you saw this advert for Soundmaster Recordings. This was a local school for audio engineering. And you'd never right. considered, had you, engineering as a career at that point, because why would you? I guess you wanted to be a drummer. So how did things change for you once you did this course and ignite this new passion and uh, talent for engineering? Yeah, I mean, actually, I, I wanted after, you know, during the, the whole the whole drumming phase, I was I uh, wanted to be a producer, so and, and I wanted to produce my, my my own records at that at that time. Uh, so, you know, I went to in engineering school just to see how it how it is, you know, because I was always the I was always the guy that was in the band that I would always kind of kind of stick around after the recording sessions and and kind of be be a fly fly on the wall and, and watching. The engineers work, um, not knowing how everything works, and just being just being curious. So I was always the uh, producer of the band, and um, so going going to a school it kind of in- intrigued me because I wanted to learn more. So going to Sound Soundmaster, I never really saw myself as a, you know, I never looked into the future as being as working for other people as an engineer or, or as a mixer. So going to uh, Going to to set the sound master was more of a personal, selfish thing. Mm. But after I got out, you know, out of out of school, and then I had to go into the internship. You know, had to you know have to be an in, in, intern. Um, then I started to kind of feel how everything worked. I'm like, oh wow, okay. And then after, I'm kind of going forward. And so you know. After I, I I learned a lot, you know, coming up at a at a spot called Larrabee Sound, um, then the uh, owner kind of said, "I think you're ready." And then I didn't know that I was I was ready to to, to move up, but um, he kind of pu- pushed me out because he saw something mm-hmm. he saw something in me that I didn't see in I didn't see in myself, um, and still really didn't see myself as being that guy that worked for other other people. But then. I tried, you know, I tried my hand at it and, um, and then the phone just, just started to ring more. And, uh, I was like, wow, okay, this can be something that, that I can make some money at, mm-hmm. um, and have, and have fun doing it. So I kind of had to push my, my, my personal, uh, am- ambitions a- aside and, um, was like, okay, let, let me just do this and see how long it lasts. And, because at that time I had a family to feed too, you know I, I was a I was a young father, so um, it, it all worked out. So yeah, it most definitely did. Because I know after this, um, your engine, audio engineering school, you ended up working, of course, at Randy Jackson's studio as an assistant engineer. Mm-hmm. So, what are your memories yeah. of that? What did you learn there? You know, you must have learned things practically from being in a studio that you don't get from just studying, right? Right, because it was yeah, being that it was a personal studio, we, we didn't get a, a lot of traffic there because 
at, at the time he was working on his uh, solo album. So it was a lot of hand. It was, it was, it was like a family. So we, um, so I learned a lot. Um, I forgot the guy's name, Richard. I uh, uh, can't remember his last name. He was the engineer there at the time. His first name was Richard. So I'm so sorry, Richard, that I forgot your last name. <laughs> I'm sure he'll forget. But yeah, that. he, Richard was an engineer that worked at A&M and, and, um, and then he ended up, uh, he, we worked at A&M, A&M Studios and then he ended up working for Randy. And um, so it was a house, it was a house in, in, in Beverly Hills um, that was in this na- neighborhood that he turned into a, a studio. And, um, but it was cool. I was there for maybe like a year. And, um, but yeah, it, it was really a lot of hand, hands-on every day because we were working on a, on a specific project. So yeah. I learned a lot there and um, and how I got to Larrabee is one day Randy wanted to mix his record o- over there. And so I was like a fly on the wall just at the uh, mix, mix sessions there. Um, there was a gentleman, uh, it was a guy named uh, Tabe Mote that was mixing there at the time. He was mixing one of Randy's uh, um, songs and, um, and so the owner of, of Larrabee knew, knew that I worked for Randy and one of his, one of his people was actually leaving. So he asked me if, if I wanted to come over there. So I had to ask Randy and say, Randy, do you mind if I go to Larrabee? He was like, no, because you, because you'll learn a lot. So it's a great opportunity. So, you know, so I owe a lot to, to Randy to kind of give me his, his blessings. Mm. Well, go, go over there. And so. Amazing. Um, but it was funny because he said, okay, once you learn your stuff, once you learn your stuff, then come, come back. But, but I never went back. <laughs> <laughs> I was back to us. Did yeah. you go back? No, you didn't. Yeah, <laughs> I never went, went back. Uh, but, um, you know, but, you know, I, I do owe him for that. Um, and when I went to Larrabee, I, I learned a lot because then I saw a lot of different artists that, that came through, through there and a lot of di- different sessions I worked under. Um, Tavi, uh, Tavi pa- passed away um, good five, six years ago, maybe or maybe more, maybe ten. Um, but he was great. I, I learned a lot from a lot from Tavi. Um, um, also worked under Alan Myerson and um, and another gentleman named uh, Keith Cohen. So I learned a lot from from those guys. Yeah, amazing times, I bet. And then, of course, you went on to work with um, Bobby Brown and Organized Noise, and you went over to Atlanta, didn't you? Where your career just yeah, really took 1990, off. Yeah, nineteen ninety. Nineteen ninety. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, what what do you remember about that time of your life? It must have been so exciting. You know, loads loads of changes, different scenery. Um, what was it like for you? I don't know. It was it was weird because that year. I felt that the music business was very congested and it was very competitive. And, but now that I look back on it, it's pretty funny because, uh, because the music business is really congested now because everybody wants to do music. Everybody wants to mix. Everybody wants to produce. Everybody wants to be an artist. Everybody wants to master. So comparing now to then it was nothing, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, I, I thought that the business was congested in in uh, Los Angeles at that at that time, and so meeting Bobby Brown, that was um, 
I th- think that was a godsend because it gave me the opportunity to uh, get out of LA at that time and, and go, go somewhere else and, and focus on something else rather than being, being in LA and fighting for jobs and all that. So working with, you know, having Bobby Brown asked me to move to LA after I did that one session with him, you know, cause he, cause he, he had just moved there mm. and he was working and he just got a label deal through MCA and, and he had brought a bunch of artists from his hometown of, of Boston. And so he wanted to work on this, this album um, for of all this. Like it was a comp- compilation of all the artists that he had signed. And so he wanted to bring, bring me to, um, to Atlanta to, to work on it. So it was, it was an honor to, to be chosen. And, um, and then, yeah, but I was only supposed to go there for three months. And then I woke up and it's 12 years later, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, it was it was a it was a great great time during that at Atlanta Renaissance period, as as we all call, call it, you know, um, working with L.A. Reid and, and Babyface um, with their label LaFace, and you know, and meeting people like Dallas Austin who had his label, and um, and uh, so it was it was a great great time there. Yeah, I mean, it's just if anyone has time or wants to look into your credits, they will realize undoubtedly you are just part of without them knowing about it you know the the fabric the 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 soundtrack to so many people's lives so i must talk to you about outcast of course so um you worked on their first album 94 for the purposes of our listeners of course you know this and then you mixed about 95 percent of um aquamini and then you worked on obviously miss jackson from aquamini oh yeah i thought that didn't sound right i was trying to say that earlier i was like it must be the english accent it just doesn't work does it i know english people i know you you promote you pronounce things different a little so we do. trust me I, I understand you know? <laughs> you know i totally understand i i get it you get it you knew the one i meant you knew the one i meant but um yeah, yep, well, yep. basically you've worked on tons of their stuff but obviously oh yeah um you you worked on of course the grammy award-winning album speaker box the love below i hope i've said that right at least <laughs> yeah yep yep <laughs> That's Speaker good. Box that's, the that's love good. below. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I've seen as well. I read that um, Andre three thousand said um, he played you the demo of of Hey Ya. Of course, this is one everyone yeah. knows, and we know many right. many songs by Outkast, right. and that he'd been working on. And you said that it had to be the lead single on the album. Oh, yeah. So you were oh, so yeah. right there. Was he not on board with that at the time then? No, he wasn't because he thought that. Um, uh, uh, what song did he th- he thought that? Um, prototype was was the single and i was like no i was like it's hey y'all man people are gonna go crazy over this because it's different it's something that you don't usually do um uh you know and and something about that hook that melody is just different you know and he looked at me kind of laughed at me i guess he thought that it was just an album filler or whatever but I hounded him for weeks to finish the song because when he when he first played it for me, it was just a verse and a chorus. And I said, "You, I said you have to finish this." And after a while, I used to call him and I said, "Where's where's my song?" You know, because he, <laughs> you know, I called it. You know, I called it. After a while, I kept calling it my song. Where's where's my song? <laughs> you know, and so yeah, that was that that was a fun fun period. Um, but yeah, I I felt it. You know, and. You know, I've I've always had a knack for 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 picking picking singles, and um, because you know, once you feel something, it's hard to shake it. You know what I mean? So I always figure 
Now, if, if I like it, so I'm sure a, a million other people are, are going to like it too, you know? Mm. I, I don't know if, if you hear this buzz, but that's the cleaning people upstairs <laughs> vac- vacuuming. So if you hear that buzz, I'm so sorry. That's okay. Um, I like to keep it clean, so it's okay. They can carry on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, that's cool. No, it's just um, you, you, you obviously do have this knack for picking the songs. There's something about that song in particular which just has such crossover appeal i mean my mum likes it she i can't tell you i couldn't tell you if she knew another outcast song probably not but she uh bloody loves that one i'll tell you yeah that song it captured everybody you know (laughs) i mean and that's what i felt i felt it it wasn't about it it wasn't it wasn't about the hip-hop crowd because i I thought the hip-hop crowd was was going to was was going to pan it but i I, at the same time i I knew that they were going to catch up because they had to because they had to let go of their you know, because some people just just want to be tough and want to be, mm. you know, just don't let let their guard down and really show themselves. Because we all have, we're when it comes to music, I think that we're all closeted. Because I was closeted for a long time, loving loving ABBA. I mean, I, I'm I'm a huge ABBA fan, and but I wouldn't tell my friends that, you know what I mean? And I, I was certain certain things you don't tell your friends, you know what I mean? You know, I'm a huge Carpenters fan. I'm huge, you know, certain that type of music that's soft and some people would never play in front of their friends. You know, we, we all have that. So, you know, I, I really don't pay no mind to people because I'm sure the people that were going to pan, Hey, I uh, was, 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 you know, was playing it in private and just dancing to it in their, in, you know, you know, in their bedrooms. So that, that never bothered me, but I knew that people were going to, I knew that they were going to love it. It's just one of those things that just captures you. It's like a guilty pleasure. And it's, and it's not even guilty either. It's just, no. just you know, something that you can't shake. Yeah, good music is good music. And it's interesting right. what you say there about, you know, perhaps the hip-hop crowd might have sort of not liked this direction from Outcast because they didn't like it, went away from what they did before. But it's like um, something like that happened to Whitney Houston uh, when she started doing poppy mm-hmm. stuff. I didn't realise until more recently that she got massively shunned by whatever they considered themselves oh, to be yeah. this hardcore, more edgy right. R&B crowd. She started, you know, getting in the charts and stuff, with, but with yeah. undoubtedly excellent songs. Right. I mean, a good song right. is a good song, right? Yes, I know that, you know, um, black artists, Some sometimes we will we'll do great, great music. And then once we have success and we look out to the crowd, we, we don't see ourselves anymore. It's mm-hmm. like Jimi Hendrix fell into that. He didn't see uh, black folks in, embracing him. It's like Bob Marley didn't see that. Certain artists, once they get successful, you want your your people as well as the whole world to uh, to, to, to um, love you and, and embrace you. But um, you know, it's like Lionel, Lionel Richie. I mean, a lot of people get that. Earth, Wind, and Fire. Once you get success, then your crowd change. Your crowd changes because you get on this pop level, mm. you know. And so, I, I'm 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 sure maybe that was Andre's fear too, was that you know his audience was going to change. But that's inevitable, you know. Even from N- NWA into Lil Lil Wayne, once you get successful and you get bigger. You know, that's just what what happens. You you can't help help that because the world is a huge place, mm. and um, so you're going to see different faces out there once you come out to play. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> this is what it is. And well, there's a long tradition as well of rap artists featuring on more pop artists. The more popular they get, they piggyback off each other, and they both benefit yeah. in the end. And they both, you know, expose themselves to new audiences, which can't be a bad mm-hmm. thing. Right. It is. Yeah. 
but you know, I understand why they get a little just discouraged. Why they're okay? Yeah, why maybe I can, their I can. own their own people are not in, embracing them because you know then they then they're called sellouts and all this. But you know, it's it's you're not selling out. You're just doing what you you're just doing what you love, mm. and um, it's not your fault that you you know you're doing music that comes from your heart and then someone else em- embraces it. Mm-hmm. It is it is what it what it is. Yeah, and. Um... Obviously, this album in particular did so well; it won the Grammy. So, how did it feel yeah. to win the Grammy Award for your engineering and your mixing on the album? And can you remember who you were up against that year as well? Oh man, we was up against Justin Timberlake, Missy Ooh. Elliott. Oh, it was some heavyweights. It was some heavyweights, and so, um, and that's only two of the people that I c- I can remember. Um, but, <laughs> and I've always wanted to be up on that, that stage, you know, because I mean? when, when I was a kid, I, I used to watch the Grammys re- religiously every year and, and dreamed of being up on that stage. And, um, and so when I was finally up, up there, then you see that the uh, first thing you see is that clock winding down, telling you to hurry up, to telling you to wrap, wrap it up. And I used to always see artists go, oh, oh I have to wrap it up. And, you know, I mean. But then you see that sign say wrap, wrap it up. You're like, oh, that's what they're looking at. But then you look down at who you beat and you're like, and I'm looking at Missy Elliott's face, J- Justin Timberlake's face. And, um, and that look of, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm applauding for you, but I'm also hating you at the same time. <laughs> you know, it's that look you, and, and you get this feeling like, oh, wow, you know, damn, they, they're they're feeling this loss you look at their faces and it's like oh my god you know what i mean i actually beat these heavyweights mm-hmm. you know and um so it was a weird feeling to look at them you know and look at them clapping you know being you know as cordial, <laughs> yeah as cordial as possible but you feel it in their faces you know what i mean and you feel like they, they just want to stab you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> we won't um, go with that as the headline. That sounds a bit inflammatory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I don't want to say that. I saying, know what you mean. You know? Don't worry about it, yeah. Neil. They've got, they've got plenty of awards. They've been up there loads yeah, of times. Yeah, they do. They'll, they'll, they'll they get over it. They've got plenty of Grammys. they got plenty of Grammys. That was fun. It, it, was, it was fun to be up there. It was, a, it was a dream come true. It was a childhood dream. It was amazing. You know, I was, I have to pinch myself because I'm this kid from this small town of Roselle, which is not even a, it's not even a city. It's, it's, it's called, it's it's called a borough. So, you know, and, um, so being plucked out of there and, uh, you know, winning, winning Grammys and being successful, it's, I'm, I'm just humbled and I realize what my blessings are. So I, I don't take it for granted. No, I can tell you don't as well, which is really refreshing to hear because it might not be the case for for many artists. Um, I would love to talk to you as well about TLC's Waterfalls because that is arguably yes. on par, maybe even more popular than Hey Yar in terms of just how instantly recognisable it is. Even now, yeah. you know, it's on the radio, honestly, all the time in the UK. You can st- I can't remember if it was in the 90s or 2000s, that one. Um, wow. I listen to a lot of those um, radio stations just when I'm in the car and it's just on. It's always on. Mm-hmm. But it's like yeah. you mixed the song, didn't you? You produced the horns on it under a pseudonym. Yeah. Shock yeah. was that uh-huh. right? Yeah, yeah, I, I did that as because I knew that was going to be trivia at at some point, but you know, I I did that on on purpose because I, I didn't want to see where where the song was mixed by me, and I did you know, and, mm. and I did the okay. and I did the horn arrangements. I didn't 
want it to be, you know, like this meal show, <laughs> you know, so I just, you know, so I wanted to do it under a different name and, and let people figure it out later. The horns are iconic. I can hear it, if that makes sense in my head now. Play, I can hear it. I can play it in my head. I can hear exactly how that uh, sounds. Yeah, and what's so, it's it's great that, you know, it's it's such a memorable thing too, that those horn lines, which is really cool. Mm. So how did you get involved with this song then? I mean, and did you have any idea this song would really stand the test of time the way it did? Like, what were your memories of mixing it and working on it? Well, I mean, how I got involved in that is because I was already working with Organized Noise on, you know, various records and albums. And so, um, and then we got the gig to work with to work with TLC. Um, and uh, we were working on a couple of songs with them at the time. and. One day, um, organized noise. They came up um, with this track, and so they had hired this uh, is one of their childhood friends that that writes lyrics. Had came in uh, with this melody and with the lyrical content, and we were all just blown blown away by it. Um, his, his name is his name is Mark Marquez, and so we're blown away by it. And me personally, you know, I, I never spoke to the guys about it, but, you know, we were all just blown away by it. But, you know, deep down in my soul, I, I knew that it was going to be a hit because it, it touched on things that people didn't want to touch on at that time, because we're talking about HIV and AIDS and mm. all this other things. And, you know, taking that bold, you know, statement and putting it out there for everybody was was I, I thought I thought it was, it was groundbreaking, and coming from T, TLC, I, I, I knew that it was going to take it to a whole another level too. Mm, um, I mean, it's quite a dark song now that you really think about the lyrics. Maybe when you get used to them yeah. so much, they almost wash over you because you know them yeah. without knowing. But you think about them, and you think, mm. "Wow, that was quite dark." And for it to be so popular as well, you can just can't predict it sometimes. Yeah. I suppose, can you? Right, but you know, but it's that hook that always gets you. You know, it's the hook of the song. It's mm. that chorus that hooks you. And that's what I mean by just melody and 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 that hook that gets you, you know. And that's why they they call it hooks. It hooks you in. Mm -hmm. But then later on, you 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 listen to the verses and you're like, wow, this is talking about something deep. But it's always that hook that it gets you. I mean, everybody's humming and singing that singing that hook. You know, um, mm -hmm. still but, singing uh, yeah. it. <laughs> still singing it today not right now though you don't yeah. want to hear that that would just oh, be no. cruel um <laughs> but um yeah. you've gone on to do well you've done so much I, I feel like I could talk to you all day but uh, I know in 2012 you were chosen as the chief mix engineer and the A&R for the latest album so this was um by Earth Wind and Fire of course you mentioned earlier who again another legendary act legendary group so please yeah. tell me about your work with them that must have been just so interesting uh, I mean Working with Earth and the Fire, this is this is another group that pretty much raised me, that babysat me when it came came to music, um, uh, and also being in the chair that was held down by the late great Maurice White was was surreal to you know to be put in the hot seat and everybody's listening to me, um, and, and at that time. Reese, Reese was alive, but but he wasn't in, involved with the band anymore. So, um, but I did get a chance to talk to him and get his, you know, get his blessing, and and he, he listened to the to the album and he gave me his 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 thumb thumbs up. So that that was that was amazing. Um, but working with them, it all started because um, uh, 
we had a mutual friend who was managing the uh, band at, at the time, and he brought brought me in to uh, to uh, mix a previous uh, album that they were doing, and so I mixed a couple of songs on the previous album, and um, and then once it was time to uh, work on now, now then, then and forever, they they brought me in again, and um, I was only you know I was brought in to to do some mixes again. But then the uh, more that we, we started talking, they said, you know, and then I brought a couple of songs in and they saw that, you know, um, that I had a knack for 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 bringing in the right songs. And, you know, and, and I had an ear. So I guess, you know, I started just producing tracks on them and it ended up that I started over overseeing the uh, whole whole album. And, um, yeah, it was just a just a tra- transition that just happened uh, gradually and. And then they put their trust in me. Um, so it was, uh, you know, because it was one of those things where I, I just wanted them, you know, I was I was so fond of, of the group. And and I knew at that time that they haven't put, like, this was their first album that, that they put out, that, that they had put out without Reese in the chair. Um, so I don't know, something inside me just felt as though, you know, I, I can help out. And um, it was great that they put their trust in me and, um, it was their highest charted um, record in That's right. in years, so that that felt good. Mm. You know? Yeah, I had to have done. Um, and you've said as well, you've got a home studio, of course, because you've been working in it whilst everyone's been in lockdown. So I'd love to hear a little bit about you know some of your go to kit, you know some of the the magic behind the music that you work on. Um, so I know that you're a Waves plugins user, aren't you? So I'd love to know a little bit about yes. how long you've been mm-hmm. using them. I mean, does it stretch back to I mean, how long uh, have you been using them? Oh man, I think I've been using Waves. Man, it's got to be up teen years because because the first mix I ever did on Pro Tools was Hey Ya, and so um, I think around that time, the early two two thousands is probably the first time I started using using Waves pl- plugins. So I, I've I've been using it ever, ever since then. So. Um, it's almost 20 years. Um, so yeah, that's how long I've been using waves and, you know, they're like the standard. That's, that's what they are. Even though we, we have other plug-in com- companies, but waves is, is the standard. Those, those are, are the go-tos and, um, and I love them, you know, it's, uh, and I love how they've expanded on their list of, of plugins and, you know, and they have a lot of fun pl- plugins and, so yeah, it's just those are the plugins that I'd reach for first. Mm, yeah, it's yeah. good to know your toolkit. Obviously, you know exactly what kind of sounds you want, but um, there's so right. many to choose from, as we know. But do oh, you have yeah, um, uh, a couple you could yeah, pick out that your go tos, like maybe two or three that you're like, these are the oh, these yeah. are the ones. Since I'm, you know, um, since I'm, I've I, I came up working on the SSL board, so my first pick is always the the SSL EQs because that's that's I would say that that's part of my sound is is the SSL sound. So being that at home I don't have an SSL board, so my first thing is to go to the SSL EQs because that to me that emulates that that board sound. Um, so that's my go go tos, and then um, I, I love going to the um, the uh, LA3A and um, and um, Oh man, so many plug plugins that I love to get go to. Um, I uh, love the Kramer plugins. 
I love Manny's pl- plugins. So it's so many that I go go to. And I just have fun, mm. you know, um, with all those pl- plugins. I mean, you've got to, haven't you? So what about the Kramer one? What would you use that one typically? How are you using that? I, I, I love the EQ. I love, I just love the low end. Oh my God, the sub on those, those EQs are, are amazing. I always use them on bass, you know, and just brings out that, that low end that I need to come out from my basses. Um, so that's what I normally use it for. Um, so, so whenever I need that extra low end, you know, that, that thing that you feel on the bottom of your feet, you know, I go to the Kramers. Mm. Well, it's interesting. You've obviously been using them for so long. Like you say, you've had to think about it there for maybe 20 years. So they clearly have just really shaped the sound of the music that you've worked on since then and just come part of the tapestry, I suppose. Yes, definitely. Okay, wonderful. And what about some, what are you working on at the moment in terms of projects? Right now, I'm working on um, a few uh, uh, new artists. Um, One is called Sampa. She's a she's a West African African rapper. Um, then there's another artist from from England. His name is Sifo. He's an R and B singer, and they're both amazing artists. Um, and you will definitely be hearing from from them in 2022. Okay, so we've got to wait till next year. Yeah, and I love working on new new artists because you know it's it's uh, I, I call it the un, unknown. Because you don't really know what's going going to happen or how people are going to react, uh, but if you're working on an, an artist that's already popular, you already know what's what's going to happen because there's there's an, an anticipation there. Mm. But when you're working with, with with a new artist, some fresh talent, you know, talented artist, you really don't know what's going to happen. Um, and then and then once it take takes off, you you, you really feel proud. Okay, sounds exciting. Lots on the go then to look forward to. So where can we find out about these artists and what they're doing in future? Should we check out their social media, for example, or will it be on yours? Um, I would say check out their, I would say look look them up, mm. you know. Samba is S-A-M-P-A and Sifo is S-I-P-H-O. Okay. Yeah. Everyone listening, go and check them out and see what's coming out uh, next year. I guess we'll wait in suspense until then, Neil. Yes, well, definitely. And also working on an artist named M- MJ Rodriguez. She was the star of, of Pose. That's, that was on um, F- FX Fox. And uh, she is a, an amazing singer as well as an a- actress. She was, the, she was nominated for an Emmy as a first transgender lead in, in a lead actress role. Fantastic. So, yeah, working with her on her EP that's coming up. Um, I had uh, produced and mixed her single, which, which is called Something to Say, uh, uh, along with my my uh, production partners, Erdine White of Earth, Wind & Fire and John Paris of, of Earth, Earth, Wind & Fire. So there's a lot of great things coming in 2022. Um, so I'm excited for the new, new year, but still trying to get through this this year. Yeah, still got a little way to go yet. We're we're almost yeah, there. <laughs> always. Lots yes. of good projects though to be keeping you busy. That's good. Um oh, yeah. Neil, thank you so much for joining us today. Like I said, I could talk to you all day about all of this music. It's literally the soundtrack to my life. So it's been such a pleasure to talk to you and get an insight into what it was like yeah. to be there and actually be a part of creating it. So um thank you. 
Thank you. Appreciate it. You're welcome back anytime. And, um, well, you enjoy your day and um, enjoy uh, listening to Abra or whatever song takes your fancy today. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) All right. Cheers, Neil. Thanks very much. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. Headliner Radio, supporting the creative community.